Welcome to Azure Ability, a podcast for everyone interested in the art and science of developing solutions for the Microsoft Azure platform. Each show brings insight from the folks who know Azure best, including the cloud solution architects who help Microsoft's leading clients devise the most innovative and interesting solutions on the planet, as well as the engineers and program managers who build Azure itself. Listen in and you'll be sure to speed your journey into the cloud. And now your host, Lewis Berman. Hello, this is Lewis Berman, and welcome to another episode of Azure Ability. I'm glad to have here as my guest, gentleman with the booming, booming voice, as we like to say, Bill Wolf. You know, Bill is a rather important person in my life because one of the very first things I did when I came low those many years ago, I think 13 or 14 years ago, to Philadelphia, Bill ran and actually created the Philadelphia user group, right, Bill? Why don't you say hi to yourself? Hi, Lewis. It's uh, Bill Wolf of Agility Systems and also somewhat famous for running Philly.net. Aren't you only famous for running Philly.net? I mean, I hope hope I've impressed others in in my uh, day-to-day world. (laughs) Yeah, he does a competent job, but he has to work on the sandwiches. That's a whole other thing. We're going to talk about Code Camp, which is an event that is coming up. But anyway, Bill is a notable person to be talking to because... If anything Azure happens in Philadelphia, I think you're sort of part of it, right? It is, there are events that happen, there are people I talk to, there are people who I know, everyone seems to know you. Is that a good thing to say? I think that's correct. And certainly from the community point of view, I am involved in many things in in the greater Philadelphia area. That's cool. So the reason I asked you here is because there's a big event happening, what's called Code Camp. Yep. Something that makes my wife snigger, by the way, every time I tell her I'm going off to Code Camp. I'm going to, well, what is Code Camp before we say what I'm going to do with it? Well, we've been running Code Camps for close to 15 years. This will be our 28th event. And basically, it's a mini conference. But it's not mini, mini. There's well, like 50 presenters this time around, right? Yeah, there's 50 sessions, about 35 speakers. Oh, I got it. 35 to 40 speakers. And we've been doing these um, consistently, as I said, for well over a decade. And it fills a void. There was a day 15 or 20 years ago where Microsoft used to run a lot of these types of events locally. And they used to rent out large hotels and movie theaters and basically have educational events for customers, interested parties. So was the first one held here in the no, actually the, training the, the first center? one was, we, we actually ran the third code camp. The movement started in Boston, and then they had one in Florida, and shortly after that, we had one in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. And the idea was to have a conference that didn't have any sponsors. It was just supposed to be a bunch of interested developers get together and share ideas about coding. And they had this thing called the manifesto where they talked about how you don't charge for events, you don't have sponsors and all. And that was a very interesting idea. And, of course, it didn't scale well because you can't run – quality sure. events without having some funding. It's all about the sandwiches as far as I'm concerned. It is. Or and occasionally the pizza. The first co-camp we had in Philadelphia was actually at the Community College of Philadelphia, and it was mm-hmm. primarily run by an employee of Microsoft with my help. I got it. And there was uh, contracts <laughs> with the university. They provided the food service and all, and that was a little too big yep. for, for a first start. So after that win. Microsoft paid for a lot of the first one, and then uh, basically they said, well, we don't want to spend thousands of dollars to run these every time. And basically, being the local user group leader for Philly.net, I volunteered and I said, well, we can run a smaller event. 
And we actually used to run them here at what was, before this was actually called an MTC. Microsoft Technology Center. Center, yes. Before this was a fancy MTC, they just had some NPRs, something. I don't even know what it is. Every time we have these podcasts, I feel like I'm part of the acronym police. And Microsoft Presentation Room, maybe? That sounds good. It could be. But we just had, you know, a, a couple rooms here. We had, you know, maybe a dozen speakers and brought in a little bit of food. And back then, we could only fit like maybe 130 people. Mm hmm for the day, but there was so much interest and there were so many new products coming out that Microsoft, you know, was certainly involved in creating. There was a great demand. So we just started planning to do them more often. Now I had the idea compared to some of the other cities where there are some other cities where they were able to partner with a local university and have a much larger event. Since we use the Microsoft office, we were limited in size. So we decided to do two per year. Okay. And the other and, argument And you there, as opposed to the greater you around the world, is it typical? Most of the cities run once a year for a, an event so like this. this. Is, I didn't yes, realize. So annual. this is quite a bit more. And the reason we do two a year is because there's so much new stuff to learn. And then it allows us to offer twice as many sessions. So we started out at Microsoft and we did that for three years and there was too much demand for what we were providing. So I had the good fortune of running into someone at DeVry University, which was close to my house. And they had leased a very large number of classrooms. It's an absurdly large. Yes. And they were only using about 40% of it. Oh. And they were trying to promote the concept of DeVry in the Philadelphia area. So they basically offered us free use on Saturdays Mm -hmm. to run our event. And that really grew Philly.net. We were able to go from a 150-person conference to about a 350-person conference. And we were able to have about 10 different classrooms. Yep. And while we did that, we uh, we le- sort of learned to do our the catering ourselves. And we're pretty well known for offering pretty good refreshments during these events. But that lasted about four or five years. And then they actually were able to get out of their lease. So they restricted, they reduced the Got amount it. of space. Are they still a business, by the way? I think they're still in that location, but they only have a small set of classrooms. Part of it was leased to another company to be offices. Okay. So when we left there, we searched around and we were able to get an agreement with Penn State University. So we went to their uh, Abington campus for about three years, and that has some old buildings. It's a pretty campus. it's, It's lovely to look at. It's really annoying to walk through. Because there's a lot of hills and valleys, and some of the classrooms are extremely old, and they're not really conducive to good projectors and good audio. And for that reason, we lasted there about three years, and it wasn't really working for us. So we tried one large event at a local, uh, uh, the uh, Valley Forge Casino. Yep. And that— That was easily the worst one. (laughs) And and it was the worst one because we had to use— the Valley Forge Casino's catering and their audio video. Mm-hmm. And the audio video people really didn't understand how to do a computer conference. Hi, my name's Gretchen Huebner, and I'm the founder of Codable. Did you know that kids who are introduced to programming early on are more likely to pursue it when they get to college? Codable is an introduction to programming used in over half of U.S. elementary schools. I started Codable because when I was in high school, I had the chance to take a programming class. 
but I didn't take it because I would have been the only girl. I wanted to give kids the chance to decide if programming is something that they're interested in before they get to high school. Help your kids learn to code. Get started at Codable.com. That's Codable with a K for kids. So from my perspective, you had these rooms that were separated by pieces of cloth that restrained precisely zero sound. They stopped line of sight, but they did not (laughs) stop any sound. And we didn't know until the morning of the event that that's how they set it up. And they they also, a little known thing there, we paid for HDMI projectors. You know, you think you would get like 1080p? Yep. Well, they charged us for 1080p projectors, but the cables they provided only did 720p. (laughs) So basically we had to run all the presentations in a lower resolution. It was just an awful audio and video experience. It was a nice big space and some people still talk about that event and they liked the way that it flowed, but the audio video was impossible. So we gave up because that was a very costly event to run and Microsoft invited us back here. That was about five years ago. And back here being the Malvern MTC. And at that point in time, they had just decided to do a remodel and they expanded their space. So we were able to run events here that do around 450 people. And we've been doing that, as I said, for since around 2014 yeah. or so. And there's a we in there. It's not just you, obviously. These things yeah, are we big. Have a there's team. a whole team. Yeah, right? there's, there's a team. And I do most of the planning and yeah. the recruitment of speakers, sponsors, and things like that. Yeah. But the day that we run the events, there's a number of volunteers that come out every time and they, you know, they know what their job is. And yep. some do registration, some haul things in and out from the trucks. Yep. Others work on catering. And, and it all comes together pretty quickly. And people really get a lot out of these. And I'm very proud of what I've done over the last 14 or 15 years. We started something new three years ago. Usually when we ran these events, we always ran them on a Saturday because that's the only time we could get the space. And I happened to ask Microsoft when we moved back here five years ago, I said, well, you know, is there any chance we could use it on Friday also? And oddly enough, a place like this has a lot of meeting rooms that are very busy Monday through Thursday. And on Fridays, a lot of the staff here work from home. A lot of the clients don't want to do meetings because, you know, they have weekend plans. So we found out that Friday here was not very busy. So we came to an agreement, and about three years ago, we started doing full-day training sessions on Fridays. Yep. And we charge for those because we don't have any sponsors that day. You just come in, you sit in a room with a top-level presenter, sometimes Microsoft, sometimes an MVP. And you go through a standard workshop, learn something really good, and then we have an after-hours party. And then some of those people then come back on Saturday, and then a bunch of other people show up Saturday to do the standard, you know, hour, 15-minute sessions all day long. And that format has worked out surprisingly well. We actually generate enough income by selling the full-day training at $76 a seat. 76. 76. That's that's a a Philadelphia thing. I'm not in front of my microphone uh, violating the number one rule. So 76 because we're 76ers. That's hilarious. It's all about the 76ers. That's correct. So that runs really well. And we sell out those training sessions in an hour or two each time we have a camp. So next Friday, we're going to have nine training rooms with 300 attendees. You can go online and see the course. And Lewis is actually showing that to me. But we use a cloud-based service called Sessionize. 
that is an offering from Europe where speakers can go and enter their sessions and then organizers like myself can go select the session and then drag and drop them, create an agenda, and then it automatically generates JavaScript objects to put in your website to run your conference. And it, it works really well. It's much better than the way it used to be. And the thing as a speaker, I'm speaking at this, by the way, on Saturday from 8.30 to 9.45 on DevOps. But it is, and I didn't know that literally until I looked at this. Yes, the, you could request thing. a change. I could request, <laughs> no, no, that's that's fine. 8, 8.30, as it turns out, is lovely part of the day for me. You know, there's a lot of topics here, right? I'm too blind to actually we, look we at cover, too many of these things. In the old days, it used to be all about C-sharp, VB, yeah. Visual Studio. Yeah. And I would say 40% of our sessions now are about the cloud. Good. Uh, that would be a combination of Azure or, or just standard techniques like Kubernetes. Yep. There are some talks about doing voice skills on Alexa and Google Home. Very cool. There are uh, a couple talks about SQL Server, some about things like Agile and just, you know, basic workflow within mm-hmm. the development environment. So we've really expanded our, our, our focus. And you, you learn a lot of interesting things if you come to a conference like this. So can I give it a plug? Sure. I'm speaking, so of course I'm biased and I've spoke, uh, I don't know how many times I've spoken, but it is... I think it's a great conference. I think it is as good as lots of professional conferences you you pay for. I've never taken any of the full-day sort of workshops, and I've never given one of those. But the sessions, they're like the same breakout sessions you'd get at, you know, what used to be TechEd or used to be Build or Connect, VS Live. Dev Connect is another big one. In many cases, the same speakers. It is. So I'm just going to read a couple of topics. This is just off the thing. You all have to come to my session, Azure DevOps. I have no idea if this is going to release before the thing happens. But take a tour of .NET Core CLI. Build an augmented reality app with Unity and C Sharp. An introduction to Akka. .NET, I don't even know what that is. Modern Azure development patterns, zero to DevOps with Azure DevOps, Azure Auto ML, build uh, .NET Core using Google Cloud Firestone and uh, Firestore? Firebase. Firestore. It says Firestore. So my point is there's a lot in here, and it's across a very, very broad category, and it's definitely not, even though it is in a Microsoft Technology Center, it's not only Microsoft-centric. So it, Correct. It, 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 it is pretty cool. Just like Microsoft today, our conference is basically open source. Mm-hmm. We cover lots of technologies. And you mentioned Firestore, and that brings up an interesting point. Did you know that Firestore competes with Cosmos DB? I did it not is, even know the name. I'm it, it, s- it, is Google's, it is Google's essentially NoSQL I got store. It. And they have something that, that, you, that you use on the browser called Firebase, which is a basically a NoSQL store that you would use in a JavaScript application. Got it. So now they want you to use the same code to do the, on the client side as you use in the server. So it's a good mix of things. Now, the other thing I'm proud to remind everyone is that for the last year and a half, with the help of Rich Ross, who's one of the employees here at the Microsoft MTC, we live stream through every one of our monthly meetings, hands-on labs, and our code camps. And we will be live streaming a full-day workshop on Friday, and we will be live streaming five sessions on Saturday. Wow. 
And, you know, there's no charge for those. Yeah. But you don't get free hoagies and you don't get nice salads and snacks. <laughs> Code Camp is all about the hoagies. Well, One time you had pizza. One very small time, I remember. And, and we'll never go back to that. <laughs> I, I like, well, I like pizza at philly.net, but it's, yeah, no. It's a little unmanageable sort of stuff. So... Do you have any notable sessions that you've done? You, you, you're doing a session this time, right? Is your yes, session on actually, Blazor? Well, I am doing a full-day workshop called ASP Net Core plus Blazor. Cool. So what I'm going to do is show, I basically break it into three sections of two hours each. In the first two hours, I'm going to talk about traditional MVC pattern. Yep. Which was very popular couple of years ago in ASP.net. Yep. And more importantly, show them how you actually set up a project using ASP.net Core, which is a lot different from your old web forms sure. a version of ASP.net. The second two hours is going to be about Razor Pages, which is the most popular way right now to do ASP.net Core. Yep. And Razor Pages are more page-focused it's less opinionated than the model view controller approach. And I think it's getting a lot of play in, in large corporate environments. Those two technologies are very similar to the new thing that's being released soon called Blazor. And Blazor has another name technically called Razor Components. And that is Microsoft actually— Microsoft is famous, by the way, for making great yes. names. I'm putting the, air well, quotes around that. I really like the name Blazor. I hope they stick with that. But what's fascinating about Blazor, it uses WebAssembly or WASM, W-A-S-M, and it allows you to actually write your website using a language like C Sharp. Mm -hmm. You don't really have to use any JavaScript at all. You can do the entire thing in C Sharp, and you can use the same classes and— models and things on the client that you use on the server. And it makes for a very natural development environment. I think you're going to see a lot of interest in that in the next year or so. I'm interested right now. Yeah. So, and I'll also be doing a one hour session on Saturday on that topic. It's not listed yet. Hi, my name is Megan Hochstetter and I am the elementary education program manager at code.org. Code.org is a nonprofit dedicated to expanding access to computer science in schools and increasing participation by women and underrepresented minorities. Our vision is that every student in every school has the opportunity to learn computer science, just like biology, chemistry, or algebra. Code.org provides the leading curriculum for K-12 computer science in the largest school districts in the United States. And Code.org also recognizes the annual Hour of Code campaign, which has engaged 10% of all students in the world. Code.org is supported by generous donors, including Microsoft, Amazon, Facebook, Google, the Infosys Foundation, and many more. Learn more and join the movement by visiting www.code.org. There have been tons of sessions over the years. So, like, I'll give you an example of what my favorite session that I gave was. So, I've done sessions, like, you know, on Azure Serverless and DevOps stuff that were packed to the gills with people in the room. But three years ago, maybe four years ago, I did a session on TPL data flow that was attended, I think, by six people. But I'm convinced that was my best session. That was the, well, that, the one that had the most absolutely tapped in people who— yeah. yeah, it's an obscure multi-threading technology. The people, the people attending oh, yeah. knew what that was and wanted yes. to hear what you had to say. Yeah, and basically spent most of the talk telling me how I was wrong. 
which is good because I learned something. So how does one even end up being a speaker and what is the thing, if you will, that brings you into this? How do you even know about it? How do you do it? Well, I mean, a lot of developers like to share their knowledge and some of them do it to a fault. And those of you that are on teams out there, you probably know somebody like that. But oftentimes the person that uh, that really knows what they're doing becomes the architect for a corporate team. And a lot of times those people like to go out and share what they're doing with others and they will come and search out events like ours as a, as a place to speak. Now, if you were interested in broadening your career, speaking is an excellent thing to do because it gets your name around. And that's a lot of the reason why I've been doing talks like this for 30 or 40 years. It just, a lot of people know who I am because I constantly give talks on new technology. He says 40 years, but he's annoyingly, he doesn't have gray hair like me, which is quite annoying. But it's really So, so you started when you were like two or three, right? Is that what you're saying? Not quite. Not oh, okay. quite. I'm older than I look. I ran my first user group meeting probably 1981. So okay. that's 38, 30, 38 years. Yeah, it's crazy. And back then, I used to do a lot of meetings that had to, I, my, my first user group was on MS-DOS. <laughs> and I gave a talk. This is the first time I ever talked in front of a user group. I was the young, you know, whiz kid, a bunch of older people, you know, trying to learn how to use their IBM PCs. And I came and gave a talk and showed them how to actually change the colors on the command line on the C prompt. Wow. And people were fascinated. And they're like, how did you learn how to do that? It's like, I read the documentation. <laughs> So, you know, then for 38 years, I became the person who would read the documentation, learn how to do something, and then I go and stand up and, and tell people, here's a new technique. You learn it. it was that simple. Yeah. <laughs> Here I've been wasting money going to conventions learning things. So, just so you know, I'm trying to think back when my first, you know, I used to be an organizer of New York PC, but I'm thinking the very first user group I hosted was on a Clarion. Do you remember the Clarion programming I language? used to use that product, yes. Ah. Not for long. Bill Blackledge, yeah. I go all the way back to the PIC operating system. As did I. Yes. I did PIC on, on mini computers. I was, a, yeah, I didn't do them on mini computers. I was a nationally known consultant on advanced revelation. Oh my God. Which is the PC version of what we call the PIC okay. operating system. You probably worked on a Wang computer. I did work on a Wang computer. Yes, or and, Prime. and of course I did. Yeah, uh, Prime computers used to pick. Yeah, well, it was also. Wang actually, but you're right. So we're showing our age. We're a very sorry about that. I, I, I'd like to disavow every sentence that has occurred in the last minute or hey, two. I, w I went through Pick. I went through DBase, Paradox, Clarion, mm -hmm. all of those products. And yes. yes, I used to make money doing Microsoft Access. Yes. Imagine that. It's but, crazy. Uh, but something really cool happened for me in the mid-90s. product I used that was part PIC operating system called Advanced Revelation. It had these things called custom filing systems that you could write. They were sort of like triggers or, you know, post-process code that anytime yeah. there was a transaction, you could run something. And they were one of the first companies that allowed you to use Sybase SQL Server as oh, a back end. Got it. So I used to write front ends in this product called Revelation and have them talk to SQL Server in the back end. And that was very interesting to a lot of, you know, so. forward-thinking large corporations. So because of that, I ended up moving a lot of my skills into the Microsoft SQL Server yeah. camp and 
I've been doing that have for the last 25 years. Have you been a Philadelphia and Environ sort of guy, or have you lived other places? Grew up in Reading, okay. which is an hour west of here. Mm-hmm. And I moved, one of my first jobs was not in computers. I was a school teacher, but I actually moved here when I was about 22 years old and got comfortable here. I started going to uh, graduate school. Mm-hmm. I actually went to Penn State Graduate School on computer design. Wow, good and for you. And they were teaching me how to make compilers. <laughs> and my parents were so upset, I dropped out of that. Oh, graduate. The, the shame of writing compilers. I, I'd, well, be, I'd be upset too. No, I dropped out of that because there were these newfangled things called PCs, and uh. I wanted to work with them. So I ended up getting a teaching job at a private school on the main line mm-hmm. that had just bought six PCs and didn't know what to do with them. Wow. And they hired me. And basically I, you know, I was a science teacher for them, but on the side, I started their first computer club and taught the kids how to program in Turbo Pascal and Logo. Wow. And uh, way back in those days. And of course, and I was big Turbo Pascal and in my case, Delphi programmer. Delphi, yes. And one of my favorite people, I've, I've been a Microsoft MVP for 18 years. That's that's a designation if you're a uh, independent consultant. It's Microsoft the opposite of you. least valuable player, the exact yes, opposite. Yes. The, the M might have be some other word. But I have the privilege of going to Microsoft's campus once a year for a week. And I meet with a lot of the product team people, and I learn all sorts of interesting things. I just got back from there a couple of weeks ago. But one of my favorite people at those meetings is Anders Salzberg. Yep. And he's the guy who invented Turbo Pascal. Yes. And Borland's, you know, yep. he was involved in Delphi. And then Microsoft hired him away, and he invented something called C-sharp. Never heard of it. And then he invented, he got tired of C-sharp, and he invented something called TypeScript. So uh, he's a fascinating person to talk to. Microsoft MakeCode brings computer science to life with fun projects, immediate results, and both block and text editors for learners at different levels. With MakeCode, students can build a cardboard air guitar, a magic wand, a milk carton robot, or play with MakeCode Arcade, a retro 80s game development platform, even make it rain chickens in Minecraft. Visit MakeCode.com to get started. I did want to tell you one story, though. That is this your missing the boat with Azure story? Bunch? It is my missing the boat with Azure. That is correct. Yeah, but but he the, must have not missed it very far. But, but he, the, uh, somewhat, well, I, I I do make some money on Azure these days. But what was fascinating? I got recruited to a big company called Unisys about nine or ten years ago, and I was part of a national team. I was in pre-sales engineering. And I would go around to large customers and show them how to work with Microsoft technology on a Unisys mainframe. <laughs> and at that point, Unisys had the biggest file server you could ever imagine. The Unisys company itself had 40,000 employees. We actually ran our entire company on one server, the whole thing. And that included Exchange, SQL Server, SharePoint, all of those products all ran on one server. They must have made servers just better than they do well, now. It, well, if you think about today, today we have things like Kubernetes where you break everything up into little bite-sized chunks. That's what Unisys knew how to do. They actually took the NT operating system and made it so that it could have little compartments and they could run hundreds of them at a time. So technically, they were doing virtual <laughs> machines before they became popular. Anyways... I used to do a lot of work for Microsoft when I worked for Unisys. 
So I would go and like when I remember the one time they had a release of a new version of SharePoint and they hired Unisys to actually set up the demo environment that customers went to to see how it worked. And I set that up for them. So I was sort of in there and I used to go up to Redmond a fair amount at that time. So Microsoft came to Unisys with a contract and they said, well, we're coming out with this uh, new version of Exchange and we want to make sure it can handle, you know, hundreds of thousands of users. Mm -hmm. And they said to us, can you build an environment using your big mainframes that can test and simulate like 100,000 users? And we're like, oh yeah, we can build something like that. Boy, I can't wait to see what the price tag on this is going to be. <laughs> so, so the salesmen get all excited. We go up to Redmond. We go sit in a meeting and explain to them how we would use our, quote, mainframe technology to do all of these test sessions <coughs> against Exchange. And they listen politely. And we then walked out of the room. And as I walked out, I saw a bunch of guys sitting outside the room in, like, jeans and long hair. And somebody said, oh, they're from Microsoft Research. And I'm like, really? That's interesting. I wonder what they're here for. Well, they came in after us, and they explained that they had just come up with this thing called Red Dog. And that they could actually— And, and what is Red Dog, just to be clear? Yeah, well, Red Dog today is owned by Scott Guffrey. It's called Azure. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> but, but Red Dog was a way to run lots of virtual machines. Yeah across sort of like a mesh of virtual machines on multiple servers. Mm -hmm. Now, we were trying to do the whole thing on one server, which had, of course, a point of failure. They were doing it on lots of low-cost, small servers. Yes. And their prices were going to be much, much better than what we could provide. And guess who won the contract? I'm pretty sure Red Dog That's run the, won the contract. <laughs> so it makes perfect sense. And, of course, I know those guys pretty well. So this was on the... 2008, late 2007 was somewhere Around in there. Around that time, right yeah. before, and it was about a year or so before yeah. they actually announced the word Azure. Ah, ah. Yeah. Well, so the important thing to know, dear listener, is there's no way you can miss Azure because there's so much of it. If you start today, there's still plenty for you to grab your own niche of. But I can see how that must have felt. <laughs> it was, well, it, in hindsight, there were a lot of hindsights for me yeah. in my career. But I looked at that moment and I'm like, God, why didn't I just jump on board of that right away? But again, when that happened, there was no physical yeah. product that you could be involved with. You had to wait until they actually released it. And I will tell you, it's interesting because I am an independent consultant. And I've been working for large corporations for 30, 40 years. And right now, uh, the corporation I work for does uh, HR websites. Yep. I actually manage the website for Microsoft's HR and for Walmart and for Amazon. And Interesting. A lot, a lot of other companies, much bigger than Microsoft. <laughs> and uh, but, Surely that's but, not true. There's but, companies bigger than Microsoft? That is correct. That is correct. I'm amazed. In the galaxy, yes. In the galaxy. Yes, that, yes. that makes more sense. But basically, we, we run private clouds. And uh, that's part of my job is monitoring and making sure these things run smoothly. And we use Azure to do some of that monitoring. I happen to like Azure. You may not yeah. know why that, that is true. So I have a few closing sort of questions for you. And so CodeCamp is going to happen and it's booked, right? I mean, every single yeah, sold out. slot is, and, and it sells out really, really fast. 
Friday in particular, you said hours and yep. then the Saturday session not long after. Do you have any advice for people how to get in on Code Camp, which happens, I know— As an it, attendee or how to run one? Well, no. As an attendee, how to make sure that you can get tickets the next time around. Well, we made a big change about four years ago in Philly.net. We moved everything to meetup.com. And meetup.com, of course, is a cloud-based service that people use to do all sorts of things. You know, you can meet at bars and learn how to drink IPAs, or you can go to a place like Microsoft and learn how to do coding. I think you should combine the two. That would be very popular. It possibly could be. And it's an acronym. People will love it. But we switched to Meetup, and, and Meetup, actually, we have to pay for that. So, you know, I, we, we do run this as a 501c3 nonprofit corporation. We do accept money. We have to keep track of it. And, you know, we, we take care of the Meetup. But Meetup, it works well because it, like, sort of advertises us in a subtle sure. way, and people just find us that, you know, normally wouldn't know. And what's really important is you have to join our meetup. That doesn't mean you have to attend a meeting. You just have to go to meetup.com slash philly-net and then you join. And once you get on that quote mailing list, then you will be notified of all sorts of events. And we've actually switched and we now sell our tickets through meetup. They provide a service where they, yep. you know, they take a fee, but it actually, everything is- And running. you're selling your free and non-free tickets. Correct. And all of that runs very smoothly. And so you really, to be part of our community is you have to get in our meetup. And right now we have about 3,300 members listed in our meetup, but only about 10% of them will actually come to a camp. Sure. But there are that many people that sort of pay attention and they may decide to come to a camp next okay. year when it's appropriate for their job. So I assume this is a first step no matter what, if you want to speak at one of these events. So how do you become a speaker? What's the best way to become a speaker and likely have a session that'll be picked? I know for a fact sessions are not picked. There are a lot of sessions. So Well, the yeah, we use we always get more sessions than we book. But again, being in part of our meetup, you will see what topics happen during the year at our monthly meetings, our hands-on labs, and our code camps. And you're here today because you have a Monthly meeting yes. this evening. Right? Yes, and we have 170 people signed up for tonight. Oh, there's a lot of interest. The topic tonight coincides with what happened yesterday, which oh. is the release of Visual Studio 2019. Now, even though 170 sign up, half the people won't show. Okay. But we sort of factor that in and we provide catering. And if you ever wondered about that, some meetings actually have sponsors. But we generate enough income in our code camps to finance all the other meetings for the year. So we're going to have refreshments for the people that show up tonight. My guess is there'll be 80 to 100 people. While we're doing the meeting tonight, we're also going to be streaming live on Mixer, Twitch, and YouTube. And we'll have probably an additional 30 to 50 people online watching what we're doing. And we have two guys tonight that are, are putting together presentations. There'll be a lot of interesting learning tonight, and we do that twice a month, pretty much. It's sort of amazing. Well, we've taken a whole bunch of your time. I really appreciate your coming in, Bill. So I want to thank our guest, Bill Wolf, founder and president of Philly.net. 
sort of, not quite a code czar of Philadelphia, but super well-known code and coding guy, guy I've known for many years. Thank you so much for being on the show. Enjoy it, Lewis. It was Thanks. fun. You've been listening to Azure Ability, a podcast for everyone interested in the art and science of developing solutions for the Microsoft Azure platform. Be sure to visit our website, azureability.com, for show notes, helpful links, and other episodes. We'd also love to receive your questions and comments. On behalf of your host, Lewis Berman, and the many friends of the podcast, thanks for listening. 